This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is John Prendergast. John is a psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, a former professor of psychology at the California Institute for Integral Studies, and editor-in-chief of Undivided, the online journal of non-duality and psychology. With Sounds True, John has published a new book entitled In Touch, How to Tune In to the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, John and I spoke about the four markers or gateways of what he calls inner knowing. And John gave us a taste of each one of these markers. Relaxed groundedness, open-heartedness, inner alignment, and spaciousness. John also talked about inquiring into and working with our core limiting beliefs. And finally, how we can free ourselves from the deep conditioning we've been exposed to and develop a sense of deep self-trust. Here's my conversation with John Prendergast. John, in your new book, you help people tune in to something you call our inner knowing. So what is our inner knowing? Tell me what you mean by that. Our inner knowing is... Um, what sometimes has been called the small, still voice within. It's a very quiet knowing um, that's different than the conditioned mind. It's, it's a different, uh, different quality of knowing. It's much quieter. It doesn't explain itself. It doesn't rationalize itself. And yet it's uh, authoritative as well. And uh, often we don't, hear it so much in words as we have it as a felt sense in our body. And it can relate to very practical matters, decisions that we're making in ordinary life, whether we want to take a particular job or be with a particular partner. But it also is uh, can guide us in terms of our um, understanding of our depths, in terms of our psychological process and our feelings, in terms of getting in touch with what we're actually experiencing. And even more deeply, I would say, it is our way of knowing ourselves most intimately. So um, it's like our deepest nature has a quality of being and of knowing. And our inner knowing is is, is, uh, an essential quality of that. And it's really our inner authority, I would say. So any, um, any teachers that we look to for guidance, and there are some wonderful teachers, are in touch with that inner guidance with themselves. Outer guides are in touch with their inner guides, with their inner knowing. So it's really our inner authority. We could say it's our, our inner teacher, our inner guru as well. 
Now, you're making a distinction between this felt sense of knowing, the still small voice within, this inner authority, and our discursive thinking. Can you help our listeners know in their own experience how they can make that distinction when they're tuning in inside? Well, one of the characteristics of more discursive thinking is it's very strategic. It's very goal-oriented, and it's also very judgmental. This is actually the nature of the conditioned mind. Uh, It's what it's designed for. It's designed to uh, assess different possibilities and choose the best one. And it also has a tendency to be very moralistic and, and judgmental. So we can always detect the presence of this more discursive condition quality of thinking because it has, um, has, a, has a should in it. There's some ideal against which we're measuring the actual. So this is one way to, to notice the difference is just to see that this is our conditioned thinking. And in contrast to that, as I was suggesting before, our inner knowing is, is not making any kind of argument. It doesn't assert itself in any particular way, and it's not attached to a particular outcome. It's not strategic or goal-oriented. It's much more about being attuned with what's unfolding in the moment. And so it just has a much kind of quieter interior feel to it, and um, it doesn't explain itself. And so maybe that helps a little bit. And we can feel it. This is one of the things I noticed in my work with um, clients and in my own internal work is that the body has a sense of this, has a felt sense of it, this holistic sense of knowing. And it shows up in rather characteristic ways, differently for different people, certainly, because we all have a different approach to um, self-knowledge. But it was fascinating for me over the years to notice that when people would start getting in touch with this inner knowing, um, they would begin to report and experience subtle somatic subjective somatic experiences. For instance, when people would start getting in touch with this quiet inner knowing, when there would be a sense of their subjective truth, very often there would be a sense of relaxation in the very core uh, of their body, in the very interior. And it was as if one's attention drops down. Uh, It it settles down more and more deeply, uh, both into the interior of the body, but also deeper down uh, in the trunk of the body. So our our seat of attention actually feels like it's dropping down to different levels, and people feel more grounded. So there's a release of some inner contraction and tension and a resting more and more deeply um, in a place of being grounded. So that's, for instance, one of the qualities I've noticed of, um, of this inner knowing that distinguishes it from a more... mental knowing, which keeps our attention up in the head. So in a way, a very easy way to tell is whether one's attention is localized uh, up in the head or or distributed more in the body and particularly more deeply into the interior um, and further down. Now, I've also noticed in addition to this sense of relaxed groundedness, there's a sense of inner alignment. It's, um, it's, It's like things line up inside. And interestingly, people actually start sitting up uh, without thinking about it. So I'll have people I work with, whether they're students or clients, and we'll be in dialogue, and they'll be exploring a particular issue. 
And as they begin to hone in on this quiet inner voice and their own inner knowing, they actually start start to sit up straight. It's very interesting. There's a, a quality of verticality, of uprightness that people often experience. And with that, a feeling of aliveness. And this, again, is subtle, but that sense of aliveness uh, very often accompanies this honing in on the truth. So I'll just mention quickly two other qualities, and then um, we can explore this together more if you like. Um, another quality is, an, is a deepening into the heart center. It's like attention. Uh, the heart is a very, a very sensitive instrument um, and has enormous depth. And as we deepen in our knowing, very often we feel like attention is deepening into the heart and that the heart opens, it softens, it opens, and, and there's an expansive and, uh, quality to the heart that includes sometimes emotional qualities of gratitude, joy, appreciation, um, and awe and wonder. So the opening of the heart is another way that we know um, that we're getting in touch with our inner knowing. And finally, the other major marker that uh, commonly shows up is a sense of spaciousness. It's as if the space around our body becomes more vibrant and more felt, and we feel ourselves um, held in a greater space, and, and we feel ourselves as that greater space and spaciousness as well. So uh, those are some, some of the markers or, or clues, um, particularly in terms of the felt sense that I've noticed um, in myself and others that I've worked with. Now, it's interesting, John, to think of those as markers, as you say, or signals that we're getting in touch with our inner knowing. It seems like there are also gateways, if you will, that we could use each one of those signals to actually help ground us, to help root us, to help point us towards our inner knowing. Do you think that's true? This is absolutely true. It's like uh, they're portals. That's right. And you can go more deeply into any of them and come into a more intimate connection with yourself. So, for instance, there's, if we deepen in our relaxation and we deepen into the sense of ground, it just keeps opening. It's really quite remarkable. Um, it's as if there's deeper and deeper dimensions of the ground that open, uh, subtler dimensions of the ground. We feel more and more a sense of stability and connectedness and, and sense of reality and a more and more expansive sense of depth, I would say. Uh, and it seems to me that these portals are open-ended, um, that uh, they keep just keep opening. And the same is true of the heart. I think there's no end to the opening of the heart, to the to the breadth and depth of love uh, and gratitude that we can feel. I certainly haven't discovered the limit of that. And so too in our sense of inner alignment and verticality, it can be more and more refined. We feel ourselves more and more internally uh, on, the, on the mark. And similarly, the sense of space, like external space, is infinite. So, um, yeah, these are all, I would agree, these are all uh, portals and, and uh, as well as markers. I'm curious, John, these four markers slash portals, this came to you in your work with psychotherapy clients and your work with yourself. You saw that you could group basically 
into these four different categories, the most important ways that you could identify, yes, inner knowings going on? I mean, is that how did you come to these four markers? Because I think they're really brilliant, so I'm quite curious about this. Well, it's interesting. I, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it just gradually unfolded over time. Um, and I think it probably had a lot to do with my own unfolding, my own letting go of um, old contractions and, and old stories and, and an awakening of what I would call the energy body or greater sensitivity. Um, so there are various stages in which that happened. I did a lot of meditation when I was in my 20s. I was um, a TM practitioner and a TM teacher, and I went on these long retreats in Switzerland for three months and six months. And, and during that time, um, there was um, just sitting in that silence and doing yoga, there was a, a growing sensitivity. And um, actually, I should, I should step back. Because as a boy, I think the sensitivity was rather natural, and I, it unfolded kind of in my late boyhood before uh, my adolescence. I would, when I would be um, falling asleep in bed at night, I would feel my body become extremely expansive and infinitely expansive, and then almost infinitely small, uh, strangely to the mind, infinitely condensed. But the common factor was a sense of infinity. So. Somehow this has been wired in this particular body mind, and and as I meditated in my twenties, it returned, and and um, trips to India brought that forth more, and and as I began working um, decades ago with clients, I had this sense as I would sit with people of beginning to resonate or vibrate um, somatically and and emotionally with their experience, and this was really quite astonishing to me because I hadn't read about it. It certainly wasn't part of my training as a therapist. And I kept it to myself for a number of years. But um, So it gradually unfolded. And, and I, I would just be sitting with people. And as they would start to hone in uh, what felt to be their truth, uh, I started noticing these particular um, subtle markers. And I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to think of any in particular. I think the heart is what I was aware of first that there was a deepening and an opening of the heart as people um, began to attune with a deeper self. And I think um, probably, I think the other markers just began to gradually emerge in my awareness. And, and probably as I felt more spacious and more inwardly aligned and more deeply grounded, um, I was able to sense that unfolding um, with my clients. And then, also, an interesting thing is, you know, over the years, I've been working with clients and now students who are more explicitly interested in their true nature and awakening. And so I've been working with people who are more, I would say, attuned and sensitive. And that probably has contributed to the recognition uh, of this subtle cartography. Now, I want to actually go into each one of these four markers of inner knowing, or we could say gateways into the experience of inner knowing, because I think it'll be really helpful for our listeners. And so I'd love, mm -hmm. if it's okay with you, John, to actually take us in to each one and give us a real taste, a real experiential taste. So we could start with the first one, relaxed groundedness. 
How do we okay. feel right now? Relaxed groundedness. Okay, so I would invite your listeners to um, sit comfortably and close their eyes. Take a few deep breaths and just settle in. And feel the weight of your body being held by chair or the sofa or the floor, whatever you're sitting on. And let your attention just drop down and in. Each breath is uh, deepening. And let your attention just drop down from the head into your torso. As if you're breathing directly into your lower belly. You can put your hand on your belly and feel it move as you breathe. So you feel your belly and your hips, your legs. And feel your attention drop down even further beneath the ground. And let yourself be completely held by something much greater, much deeper. And notice what happens as you do so. What happens in the interior of your body? Feeling more and more deeply into the ground. It can help to imagine as if you're breathing up from the ground and exhaling down into it. And each exhalation opens a deeper dimension of the ground. And just rest. Let yourself be held. There's nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to fix or accomplish or figure out. And enjoy the ground. So how does that sound, Amy? Well, it's deeply relaxing, and I noticed quite a bit of a quieting of the mind. And what it occurred to me is that really the kind of quote-unquote knowing you're describing is different than, I think, how people associate knowing. You know, I'm going to 
you know, I have a set of instructions in my mind that are a bunch of sentences, words, diagrams. I mean, you're really describing something different with the word knowing here. Very much so. Yeah, this is, it, it, it's interesting. It, it's, in a way, the first step is to trust not knowing. It's like to, to, know, <laughs> to know the limits of the mind, um, realize that it's a useful tool, but actually to navigate life in a graceful way and to attune with who we really are, a different kind of knowing is needed, and it's not going to come from the ordinary mind. Um, it's going to come from a very spontaneously, um, unexpectedly, freshly, as if an upwelling from the ground. It's very interesting. I was sitting, um, I was sitting with one of my clients yesterday, and he was, you know, doing just what I described before. Came in a little slumped, and then he began to sit up, and and he was describing himself feeling a little ungrounded. He didn't. His lease was coming up on his apartment, and he didn't quite know where he wanted to move. And I said, well, just he described himself feeling a little unsettled and a little ungrounded, and not knowing what to do. So I just invited him to actually be with the unsettled feeling. And um, he did, you know, he just opened it. And this is actually a very important point because we actually don't want to try to jump over our experience. It's a matter of becoming intimate with it and going through it. Um, So if we actually open to a feeling of unsettledness and ungroundedness, uh, if we welcome it, if we become intimate with it, uh, without trying to change it, it will of its own release. And he was experiencing this. He said, yeah, I can feel the unsettledness, but I feel a deeper ground as well. You know, and, and this is the ground of knowing that the remainder of my life is really about being, about being devoted to being and, and to moving from there. So that knowing just arose spontaneously um, without any um, really much thought about it at all. And it was deeply validating and reassuring for him as well. So to your point, that's right. A different kind of knowing arises um, when we're willing to not know in, in our ordinary way. And that's why I tell people sometimes that I take refuge in not knowing and uh, simply being open and present and available. And interestingly, almost always, there's, there's, when we're that available, that open, uh, and, it, and it takes a certain trust, which takes time, a different kind of knowing begins to appear, and, and, and we feel it as a, as a subtle inclination, I would say, kind of subtle movement in one direction or another. And it's not coming from an ordinary intelligence in our conditioned mind. It's interesting you talked about your client who came in feeling unsettled, because I could imagine someone dropping into this relaxed groundedness and having some type of response of uncomfortableness, like, oh my God, I don't know, maybe maybe they feel like they're dropping into empty space and it freaks them out or exactly. something like that. Exactly. And they think, you know, God, I'd really like to get back on my iPhone and get on the web and do something, like yeah. <laughs> something like that. This is, you know, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this conversation on Insights at the Edge anymore. And, and so I'm curious, <laughs> how can you help people when they hit something, even just in this little exercise of dropping uh-huh. down into well, the yeah. ground? Yeah, they hit something that freaks them yeah. out. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Well, um, I mean, the first thing I would do is just normalize it. Um, and in fact, um, we're both drawn, we're, we're deeply ambivalent, I would say, to being deeply grounded because it requires a profound letting go of who we think we are and all of our ordinary way of navigating through life. And further, as as attention drops more deeply into the body, we get uh, sometimes into some early conditioning where we felt really abandoned or attacked or there's some trauma. So there's a lot of resistance, actually, to being this deeply grounded and, and this open. So part of it is, you know, you go at a pace that people can handle. Um, that's in my clinical work with people. And people will have to pace themselves in terms of sitting in this way. But another is just to normalize and reassure people, if you actually stay with this, that the groundlessness itself becomes a portal. You know, this is, we're talking about portals, and everything can be a portal. And our most difficult and challenging experiences become portals actually to the polarity of that particular quality. So if we open and learn to tolerate groundlessness, we will get to a profound sense of groundedness as well. If we open to a sense of instability, we'll find a remarkable level of stability within ourselves. If we open to feelings of terror, and these are actually the most difficult to tolerate, and it can be helpful then to have someone you know, nearby to help you if you can't handle it yourself. But if you can breathe through and walk through that terror, um, you know, there's a tremendous gift there of its polarity in terms of a deep ground. So you're right. There's resistance and there's ambivalence. and It really depends on the motivation of the explorer and the kind of conditioning uh, that they've gone through. Now, what would you suggest to someone who, when they hit those spots, they go back up into their thinking mind, as I described, and, you know, start figuring out, you know, what they're going to eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like enough of this dropping down into the torso and into the earth. Well, I would say, you know, see that it's a defense, right? And and that the defense over time will not work. Um, so part of it is the self-honesty to see that, I mean, it may be that, it's no longer tolerable and you need to take a break, in which case that's healthy. But more likely, um, there's a belief that one will get lost or swallowed in it and, um, and overwhelmed by it. Or alternatively, it's like, why would I want to feel so bad? You know, and, and we can find endless ways to distract ourselves. So there's a certain honesty, I think. People can check with themselves and kind of notice what they're doing, that they're going away from it. And then also to know that... Um, eventually you'll need to come back to it, that everything actually wants to be liberated. I would say all of our conditioned body-mind is waiting to be touched with understanding and with love and compassion. And so sooner or later, you know, we'll come around to it again. And, and if we're interested in the truth and if we're interested in living in integrity uh, and uh, growing a sense of integration and healing within ourselves, then we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, so uh, I think be honest with yourself. Both, be both kind and honest with yourself and, and, and face the reality of it. And if you need help, um, then you know, seek it. Get support for it as well. I mean, we're talking about probably the most challenging aspect of conditioning. 
uh, when we talk about actually opening to the deep ground. But also, you know, the same can be true in terms of plumbing the depths of the heart, because the heart is very sensitive, and we're very open as children, very innocent, undefended, and we experience a lot of shocks and disappointments, and gradually the heart tends to close. And in the spiritual journey, in the journey of um, personal healing as well, um, that will require that attention deepen into the heart again, and that we, we experience to some extent the reason why the heart closed. And, and those difficult feelings, possibly, of shame or, or self-hatred. So having the understanding that this is part of the process, that we can't bypass this, not for long, uh, that we actually need to go through it, you know, to we need to feel it in order to heal it, um, helps the journey or um, stay with the process. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Okay, so I, I really do want to go through all four of these bodily qualities of inner knowing. And I think we've okay. done a good job on relaxed groundedness. So pick a second one, all John. Right. All right, well, let's go with the heart. Okay. I was just talking about that. All right, so again, I invite, uh, I invite you and your listeners to, at this time, um, bring your attention to the heart center. And this is right in the middle of your chest. We're not speaking of the physical heart, of course. And imagine that you can breathe directly into your heart center. Let's take a few slow, deep breaths. And each breath, let your attention drop in a little more deeply into the heart. And this is just about noticing what's here. It's not about changing anything. Breathing and attention dropping in. So there are many levels to the heart, and, and a lot of the heart is concerned with whether we feel loved and liked by ourselves and others. So we may begin to encounter some of those levels. It's different for everyone. But there are subtler and subtler levels with the breath and the attention dropping in. 
You may feel attention moving back, further and further back into the heart. That's good. And very often as we go further back, we actually get to younger, younger and deeper levels developmentally. And we may begin to experience just a native innocence. A simple joy to be alive. spontaneous love of ourselves and others. A gratitude for being. And if we keep going, it's interesting, the back of the heart opens up into the vastness. We usually don't sense behind the heart. Feel your attention moving all the way through and out, opening up. And this is what I think of as a universal heart. This great heart or universal heart is actually able to meet and hold the suffering of humanity. The human heart can't bear it, but this great heart can not only bear the suffering, but in some mysterious way transmute it by welcoming it. And this is available to all of us. When we open to this deepest dimension, we feel ourselves as an instrument of service and of love. So what do you experience, Tammy? Yeah, I, uh, what I'm tuning into is I can see how this approach might be quite challenging for people, even though it might be deeply rewarding, maybe the most rewarding type of work they could do to tune in at this level, but that it could also be quite challenging. I mean, as we're going into the heart, as you mentioned, people can find such heartbreak there and once again, I'm Absolutely. curious to know. Curious to know more how you suggest people work with that. Well, in a, in a way, it's the same principles, and you're right. It, it's you know, and kind of leading this visualization for your listeners. Um, it's actually not how I generally work with people, because I work. You know, I think what's important is to meet people where they are, and um, not to try to um, go break through defenses, for instance, and resistance, but to meet them gently. And so that would be, you know, my counsel 
is that as we begin to gently uh, explore the depths of the heart, we will encounter wounds. You know, we will encounter uh, scars, uh, disappointments, heartbreaks that were there before. And it's really important to be gentle with oneself. It's like the quality of attention that we bring to our experience is the most important thing. That is to say, is it affectionate attention? And sometimes it's spoken of as mindfulness, but but for me, it is a, I, I prefer to call it affectionate attention. Can we can we find can we attune with that quality of attention within ourselves, and then bring it to our most intimate experience? And one of the things that's very important that I mentioned before is that we not have an agenda to fix or change ourselves. We know what it's like when others try to fix and change us, and it's no different. Um, when our interior sensitivity can feel that agenda coming from the conditioned mind, it will keep its distance. It will recoil. But when we come with a genuine curiosity, a genuine affection, a genuine willingness to be intimate with our experience just as it is, um, without trying to change it, quite paradoxically to the mind, it begins to unfold. And it's kind of like a, it's a process of thawing. I would say, are melting. And as I suggested earlier, everything is wanting to be met um, within us and around us by this quality of attention. So it can take time, and it's important to be gentle with oneself. And and it may bring up very strong feelings. Um, it can bring up strong feelings of uh, grief, for instance, that we've buried and suppressed. And if grief arises, it's really important to let ourselves feel it. And in fact, to feel whatever emotions arise um, as well. So one, one point I would add here is that as we explore these depths of the subtle, uh, subtle body, we're also encountering the subconscious mind and core beliefs. So for instance, when attention drops deeply into the heart, um, we may encounter a feeling of self-loathing or feeling in shame. And very often, there's an accompanying belief around that of being flawed or lacking in some way. So uh, a complementary practice is to actually inquire into the truth, uh, to do a heartfelt inquiry into the truth of whatever associated beliefs that we may have as well. And I find um, by encouraging people to sense their sensations as they are, to feel their feelings just as they are, to inquire into their uh, limiting beliefs. Um, but this is really uh, a very gentle and um, effective way to help people become more intimate themselves and, and to unfold into their deepest nature. Well, let's talk about this inquiring into our core limiting beliefs. You write in the book, In Touch, that the grandmother and grandfather of all core limiting beliefs are these two sentences, I'm not enough or something's wrong with me, that this is often what people get down to as their core limiting beliefs. And I thought, that that sounds right to me. And yeah, I'll just pick, I don't know if it's the grandmother or the grandfather here, but something's wrong with me. And so let's just say, let's just say, and this is, you know, my mysterious listener out there who's listening who might have this idea, meaning this is something very intimate in my own life experience. Let's just say someone has this, uh -huh. someone has this sense, something's right. wrong with me. 
how do I inquire into that? Okay. So the first thing is to make sure that the formulation is really very simple and very resonant. So, you know, for your listeners and, and for you, I would say, does that really say it? You know, does that really capture the belief in the most simplest, in the, in the simplest and most direct way? And if it doesn't, then tweak it a little bit, you know, so, uh, so that it does. So something's really wrong with me. Okay, well, you know, maybe saying I'm really screwed up says it, you know, more directly. It has more juice. So it needs to have juice and resonance. And you know that it has juice and resonance because you'll feel it as a reaction in your body and as an emotional reaction as well. So something's really wrong with me. Um, you'll feel like it's interesting. There's immediately a somatic contraction uh, that we can feel subtly and sense of, of shame and maybe self-loathing as well. This is very, very common. So the first step is to, to recognize what the belief is and to distill it in its clearest form. The second is to notice the impact um, in your body and, and with your feelings. And then the third is actually to bring your attention to your heart center and get quiet. And then ask yourself, what's my deepest knowing about this? This belief that there's something really wrong with me. And then to be quiet, not to go to your mind for an answer. Just wait. And the answer may not come as a verbal response. It may come as a feeling, and they come as an image, and they come as a direct knowing. But generally, it comes pretty quickly when our attention is quietly centered in the heart. So what comes to you, Tammy? Oh, my... John. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're getting into such deep stuff here. But, you know, I think my sentence is something like, I'm an alien. And when uh -huh. I put it into my heart and I asked about it, uh -huh. I saw an image of a mother and a baby being held very lovingly. And I thought, no, I'm not, you uh -huh. know, I mean, so it was a very healing image that occurred to me of real tenderness uh -huh. and love. So, uh -huh. I, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I think I get the sense of what you're mm -hmm. pointing to here and how these core limiting beliefs in the book, you write about them as how they can introduce noise into the system yeah. such that it's harder for us to really attune in the way you're describing here. I think that's an important thing to talk well, about because I think a, a lot of people who might try to drop into their body and listen to the wisdom of the body, it's not easy. They find a lot of noise. Absolutely. Yeah, it felt really important in the book to talk about this because otherwise, you know, everybody, everyone will be dropping in and, you know, easily attuning with their true nature and, and you know, moving absolutely gracefully through life. And we know that it's not the case, actually, uh, maybe with a few exceptional individuals it is. But for most of us, you know, we have a fair amount of conditioning, psychological, mental, and emotional conditioning um, that impacts uh, our body and our feelings and our thinking. And 
uh, does create a lot of static in the system. And so to decode that quieter um, signal, that sound, we actually need to um, clear the static more. Not perfectly. I don't think we're ever entirely clear um, of noise, but we can reduce the noise. And we reduce the noise by being willing to be with our experience um, as it is. So, you know, this is a process that actually takes time. Uh, It's not a a quick fix at all. It's not a fix. (laughs) It's actually a way to be intimate um, with one's experience. And I think of the body as being like a musical instrument. And um, most of us, our bodies are pretty out of tune and probably not too well cared for. So it's um, like learning to play a musical instrument. We begin to learn to listen to the body. We understand that it's going to take time. Uh, We're patient. Uh, We realize that, you know, there's going to be uh, conditioning that we'll be going through, difficult feelings that we've suppressed, uncomfortable sensations that we've uh, not wanted to experience as well. Uh, Not to mention uh, all these horrible stories we tell (laughs) to ourselves about ourselves and others as well. So it's it's kind of learning the landscape of that and relaxing, realizing that this is a process. Um, it takes some commitment and dedication and time and commitment um, to begin to feel one's way through. Now, the rewards are enormous, and, you know, we're just getting little, perhaps little tastes of what they are, but... Um, Approaching one's experience and becoming increasingly intimate with it this way is, uh, for me, um, just remarkably rich and fulfilling. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful path, I think. Now, John, a couple of times you've used this word conditioning, that we come Uh into our heart and we find a lot of conditioning, for example. What do you mean by that, that use of that word? Well, a lot of things. Um, For instance, I mean, we are... Uh, as human beings, we're, we're brought up in a web of conditions. You know, um, some of them are cultural, some of them are familial, um, genetic. I mean, our, our bodies are conditioned. And, and so it's just the impact of our particular body minds that various environments um, have. Um, so we're deeply conditioned as human beings. And some of, the, some of this conditioning um, is very burdensome and very constrictive. Uh, For instance, uh, if we have been abandoned early on, uh, if we haven't been met, you know, with kindness and uh, haven't been held tenderly, you know, in the way that your image of the mother and child might reflect, that leaves an impact on our system. Um, And it leaves, the impact is a somatic contraction and an emotional reaction. And also a lack of clarity um, mentally, um, confusion, I would say, and and becoming more judgmental. So these are, I would say, the hallmarks of conditioning is somatic contraction, emotional reaction, and uh, a very narrow or distorted um, way of seeing and way of thinking. So the deconditioning process is, you know, to undo that in a way, or to allow its undoing. And how to do that? Well, if, if we've been abandoned, then we don't abandon ourselves. We become intimate with ourselves. We give ourselves the quality of that loving attention and, and wisdom that wasn't given to us. And uh, we question our distorted thinking 
and become begin to come into clarity. We uh, accept our feelings and begin to embrace them if they were suppressed um, by others. So we we take on the responsibility of, of healing and and um, use the resources that are available to us in our lives, and and so we become gradually less. Um, I would say, identified and at effect of our conditioning. And we feel ourselves just increasingly free, uh, lighthearted and, and grounded and present and, um, and affectionate in our life. Okay, John, I want to make sure we touch on the final two qualities of inner knowing. Let's go with inner alignment. Okay, inner alignment. So again, sit comfortably. And I would say um, if you're lying down, sit upright comfortably. And again, take a few deep breaths. And feel yourself settle down. And imagine that at the very top of your head, your body is suspended by a very thin, strong wire. Feel that, that line running right down through the core of your body. And deep into the earth. And in fact, beyond the earth. Just extending without limit below. And then experience the same above head. Feel that line extending far beyond into the, into the heavens. And just let your body align with this vertical, verticality. Feel your natural uprightness. Very often the sense of verticality, of inner alignment, is associated with the feeling of being in integrity. It's like everything lines up or lines up more so what you do, what you feel, what you think, and your deepest sense of self. So it may also help to remember when you felt yourself to be very much in integrity, honest with yourself and others. And there's a feeling of a quiet vibrancy and aliveness that accompanies the sense of alignment. You may feel a current of energy 
upwelling, ascending. We're downpouring and descending. So the sense of aliveness, of inspiration, integrity. Gives a little flavor, perhaps, to your listeners of what this what this is like. Mm-hmm. You have a sense of it? I do. Good. And finally, let's talk a little bit, and if you can give us a taste of spaciousness. Okay. So, feel into the interior of your body. And as you breathe... Feel a sense of space. In fact, it may be easiest to feel it first in the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. There's a, a sense of liveliness and energy. It moves up from the hands into the forearms and upper arms, up from the feet to the legs and pelvis. So the body begins to feel more like energy into the torso, the belly, neck and the head. And as it feels more like energy, there's also a feeling of more space. It's not as dense, more openness. And then direct your attention to the space in front of your body as if you're breathing in from that space and exhaling out into it. And then same behind your body, inhaling from the back space, exhaling into it. Left side, inhalation, exhalation. Right side, breathing in, breathing out. Space above the head, inhalation, exhalation. And the same with the ground beneath. Inhaling up from the ground, releasing, exhaling down. And then letting go of directing your attention and just feeling the global sense of space all around, all directions simultaneously. And feeling space within your body. And noticing if there's any boundary in this sense of space. Is there any interior or exterior 
and then just rest. First in the space, nothing to do. Resting in this limitless spaciousness. And then be the space. You're no longer an object in space. You are the space. So that's a little taste of spaciousness. And this will emerge as we let go of who we think and feel we are. All of our old stories, their associated emotional reactions and somatic contractions. It's like the body becomes more and more lively and open and spacious. And we feel our, it's as if the body expands, really. And at some point, it may even feel like our physical body is in this space, and we are this space. Um, so uh, the space just opens up, and it deepens in and through the body. It's very different, the spaciousness, than being dissociated and spaced out. It's actually, um, this is hard for the mind to understand, but actually, we're very grounded in the spaciousness. It's very intimate, it's very grounded, and very open, and we feel an intimacy with all of life, uh, with what we call the world. And even to speak of a separate world and a separate self actually doesn't feel as if it's true. It's like we, we feel an intimacy with our experience and um, that this is who we are, all of this. Okay, John, so let's say someone has a sense now of these four different bodily qualities, if you will, of inner knowing. How do I actually use this in my life? Like, let's say I have a difficult decision to make. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure about something. And, and clearly, I want to tune to my deepest knowing. How does this help me? How do I do it? I think what's good is like when we're, when we're facing a puzzle or a conundrum, uh, to actually get quiet. And there's an art to sitting with a question. Um, so it's important to formulate as clearly as possible what our question is. And, um, and then sit with it. It's like pose it to ourself and then just sit quietly and notice, you know, it's like listen to the body, notice what, what comes up and, and if we are, we'll notice an inclination, I would say, a certain subtle movement uh, in one direction or another, often. If we don't, then, then uh, maybe it's not time to do anything. But if we notice a subtle inclination or movement in a particular direction, um, then it's good to try it. Try it out and, and act on that and see how it works. And so it's, it's a matter of resonance, I would say. So very often, it's like if we begin to move in a particular direction and we notice ourselves feeling more deeply relaxed and grounded and aligned and open-hearted and spacious, that's pretty good evidence that we're moving in the right direction. If we're feeling, not feeling that and feeling the opposite, um, then, you know, that may be a good reason to sit and, 
and um, you know check in more deeply with what's going on. Now it can be it may be the right direction, and we still may be afraid to do it. So fear is not necessarily doesn't mean it's the wrong direction, but it's um, it's kind of learning that that sense of that that inclination, I would say, in that movement, and very often it will have one of those four qualities related to it. Now, just two final questions. Here's the first one. The subtitle of your book, How to Tune In to the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself. I, I want to talk about this idea of trusting oneself. Mm-hmm. How do you think people grow in self-trust? Well, one, by listening to themselves, and and secondly, by acting on what they hear. So it's a process. Uh, We we really need the experience of testing out uh, what our inner signals appear to be directing us towards. And um, as we find ourselves moving, I would say, more gracefully in the world uh, with less suffering, uh, we gain trust uh, in this inner knowing, in this uh, authority. We uh, we we rely less on others and, and uh, know that there is, in fact, a kind of inner GPS or, or inner guidance system uh, that becomes trustworthy. And that just keeps deepening with experience. The more we act on it and, and are honest in our self-observations, uh, notice what happens, uh, the greater our trust will grow. And we, it also brings greater intimacy with others. I haven't even talked about relationships, but as we attune with ourselves, uh, we're also more in tune with others and much more open to intimacy, uh, genuine intimacy. So we feel more authentic and we feel more intimate with life. Just one final question, John, before I let you go. Our program's called okay. Insights at the Edge, and I always like to know what someone's current edge is. And and what I mean by that is your own kind of growth edge, if you will. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. In the last week, I just felt another kind of dimension of the ground opening. And um, it's been slightly unsettling and and also very liberating and difficult to talk about, a kind of a mysterious dark depth. Um, that's coming more into conscious awareness. So uh, it feels like my edge is in a deeper surrender to that. And any residues of control and strategic thinking, um, you know, my edge is to see those and let those go. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your work, John Prendergast, the author of a new book, In Touch. How to Tune Into the Inner Guidance of Your Body and Trust Yourself. I really think this is a great contribution, John, and it will help people so much. You have so many good pointers and exercises in the book. Thank you so much for being who you are and writing the book. Thank you. You're so welcome. It was a delight. Soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.